Mrs. Wilds and looks like uh, Mrs. Uh, Weyerbach heading out there. So uh, the rest of you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 11 this morning. Glad to have all you join us online. We're online a little bit late this morning because we've been celebrating a little bit of Hanukkah uh, today. And so I, I hope uh, Hanukkah begins at sundown tonight and for the next nine uh, days. And if you, you obviously, if you're watching online, you weren't here probably, but we were discussing how in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus uh, himself observed uh, Hanukkah. Uh, and uh, so it's a wonderful time. If you don't know what it is, you should study it out and figure out why, uh, you know, this is off the point, nothing to do with my message, but just a little rant. You know, it's one of the problems why there's, people say, why are so many different denominations? Why, why do so many people, they, get, they read the Bible and they all come to these different conclusions about baptism and different stuff. And the, the, a simplistic or a simple reason is that Satan effectively in the first several hundred years of the early church was able to separate the Jew and the Gentile, was able to get the Gentiles to believe they could go to a Jewish book and take the Jewishness out of it and still think they understood it. And if you look at the book of Acts, you'll find that all the New Testament churches, when they were begun, Paul would go to a synagogue where Jewish people were and lead many of them to the Lord, and then Gentiles would be saved. And so there were Jewish people in the early church to help the Gentiles understand it somewhat what the Old Testament itself and how Jesus fulfilled it and all and from there on. And when you take that out of it, you, you know, for example, since I'm just harping, right, Pastor Danny, I'm going to do like you. You know, if you bring a Jewish perspective to baptism, you'll never arrive that baptism is about sprinkling. You just won't. It's just intellectually dishonest with the Jewish culture that was set. You can read rabbis for hundreds of years what they viewed what baptism was. Now, what, what it means symbolically had changed over the times and why we are observed believer's baptism is significant, but the mode of it, very Jewish. It was immersion. It just was. We've been going through John chapter 11. I started a series several weeks ago entitled, God, Where Are You? Just looking at the idea, as many of us go through our lives, we go through times we say, God, why are you not here in a time of my crisis? And John chapter 11 is the story of a family in crisis. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are siblings, and they're very tight, very close. And this is a home that Jesus and his uh, disciples had spent much time in. And Lazarus gets sick, and Martha and Mary send for Jesus, but he delays two days. And finally, when he uh, begins to tell his disciples what's going on, you remember they don't understand. They think that he just needs a nap. <laughs> they said, Jesus, if he sleeps, he's going to do fine. And finally, as we saw last time in our series, Jesus says to them very plainly, he has to say to them, Lazarus is dead um, in verse number 14. And I'm so thankful, by the way, that Jesus allowed them time to process and consider all the possibilities and he even allowed them a time where he knew they did not understand his word. Aren't you glad that God is gracious enough to sometimes allow you and I to go through some times in our life where we think we understand what God's saying? Matter of fact, we can be really sure of it, but we could be wrong. And sometimes we look at some, another fellow believer and say, well, that person, you should get that. Well, Jesus is gracious and he wanted them to learn to think he could have just told him that right away, and we discussed that a couple of weeks ago, but he did not. But I can imagine when he lays it out there and says, Lazarus is dead. Guys, let me make this clear to you. He's dead. These guys loved him themselves, and I'm sure maybe the hope they had that he's going to get better is now gone. Maybe some of them began to tear up. But then, as we're going to continue on in our 
series this morning. In John chapter 11, in the first part of verse number 15, Jesus goes on to say something that I'm sure when they're trying to process, you know, Lazarus is dead. Notice Jesus' next words in verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Now, this morning's title is another reason God is sometimes silent. And we're going to look at that this morning as Jesus is about to lay this out to his disciples. Let me have a quick word of prayer, then let's get into this. Lord Jesus, it's been so good to be here today. Thank you for fulfilled scripture that we even see in the observance of of Hanukkah and the dedication and rededication and the cleansing of the temple in recognition that the glory of God, as Brother Joe mentioned out of of, uh, Habakkuk, that the glory of God would enter into that temple. And the moment you walked through there, the glory of God, in fact, did enter into that temple. God, I pray that as we look into your word today, help us to apply it to our lives. And God, thank you that you're merciful and patient with us and that your grace is new every single day, um, new opportunities. And Lord, help us to, uh, by your Holy Spirit, to be enlightened, to understand uh, your word clearly as it is contextually given this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Now, while if, if I was there and Jesus had said that, in effect, what Jesus is saying is, I, I'm kind of glad that he died. Ouch. Now, uh, this, if you say, well, are you sure that's what, they, well, this is exactly what Martha and Mary, as we get later in the story, you know, they were our text verses for the series. When Jesus finally, when he gets there to Bethany, when Martha first comes to him, and then when Mary comes to him, what do they first say to him? If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why did you let my brother die? You could have stopped it. Now, I need to clarify that Jesus says he's glad that he was not there, but notice the words are important. (laughs) I'm glad for your sakes. I don't want you to come across this morning and leave you thinking God is glad, you know, that somebody just died arbitrarily or something like that. And we know when we get to the rest of the story, John 11, 35, you know, the most famous verse in all the Bible, because all of us can quote that one, Jesus uh, I'm sorry, a few of you can quote it, all right? Now you can learn a Bible verse this morning. John 11, 35 says... Jesus wept. There you go. You did Bible memorization today. Checked it off your spiritual checklist this morning. You did it. But when Jesus actually gets to the tomb with the family, he's broken and he weeps. But he tells his disciples, I'm glad that I was not there for your sakes. Ever been glad that someone was dead? Be careful. We're in church. You know, I was was thinking about that. Am I ever glad someone's dead? You know, the first, you know, this just, you don't know how I think. The first person that came to my mind some, well, I don't want to be unkind. I hope he, I hope, you know, I hope he met the, I kind of hope, a little hope he met the mercy of God and found, you know, truth in Jesus Christ. But Osama bin Laden comes to mind. I'm glad he's dead. Ted Bundy comes to mind. If you don't know who he is, good. But I'm glad he's dead. Um, but would you ever say that about somebody that you loved? I mean, how could Jesus say that? And Uh, To make this even deeper, if you go into the Greek, the original language in which the New Testament was written, you'll find that the Greek word here for glad is is the word that is translated most frequently. Matter of fact, overwhelmingly, it's translated the word rejoice. (laughs) In the Greek, if he spoke Greek or Aramaic, whichever one he was speaking here at the moment, he's saying, I am rejoicing that I was not there. Wow. So here's these friends of 
Lazarus, and they're also considering the family, and they're stressed out, confused, they're hurt, they're wondering, where is God? Now Jesus says he's rejoicing that he was not there. There have been times in your life when God was silent, when you were going through something, and you just kind of get a little, like, angry with God? And you're in church. Remember this, you're in church. Let's be honest. And we, oh, I never, I, I trust God. No. I, you go through some really hard times and God stays silent or he, he, you are being obedient as these men were to where they were at. They were following the, the Savior and they, you know, and all of a sudden there's things going on they don't understand. One of my great heroes of the scripture and the older I get, um, this man becomes a greater hero of mine. I was telling Pastor Danny that this week, uh, and that's the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Because he was called to give a message that nobody liked. The politicians didn't like it, the people didn't like it, the religious crowd didn't like it because he told them the judgment's coming, y'all have committed all this sin and you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. And, and he was powerfully used, but he paid a great price for it. And, and I love about the, the book of Jeremiah and the scriptures in general is it shows us into the heart of some of God's choicest servants. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20, in verse number 7, this is what he says, all right? Now, I don't, I'd be a little nervous saying this to God, uh, but I have said it. Jeremiah cries out, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. In other words, I'm doing what you want me to do, because you're, you know, I'm following your lead, and you got me. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Ever felt like that with God? Okay, God, I'm doing all you want. I'm delivering the message you want me to deliver. And instead of things going well, all I get is derision and I get reproached and I get violence done on me and I I get put in in the stocks and I get put in the pit and I'm rejected even by my family and and all these bad things happening. And and I'm sure Jeremiah is in fact saying, where are you, God? Does this seem right? And I'm sure when it came to the godly home of Lazarus, Martha and Mary and Jesus is sitting there saying, I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there. All these things are running now uh, through their minds. Now, here is where the title of the sermon this morning comes from, where he is about to give them another reason why God is sometimes silent and allows us through some lonely times. Notice verse 15, the second part of the verse. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. So sometimes God will remain silent because he's trying to build our faith. Now remember, it's very critical here again. Jesus is talking to whom? He's talking to believers. This is why one of the reasons, you know, I know I get it. So, you know, the, the King James, it's hard to, to, you know, this, that. And by the way, do you know the King James statistically in, in sales is making a comeback? I think after all these multiple dumbed down versions that people are starting to recognize they don't have the authority. Um, But that's another sermon for another day. Uh, I like it, though, uh, because the these and the thous. Why does it say thee and thou? Notice here it says, to the intent that ye may believe. You see, with that pronoun, we can be 100% definite he's who he's referring to. If, he, if, if in some of the modern versions, and I'm not taking two big shots, little shot, not a big shot, would say, you know, to the intent that you might believe. 
Okay, that took us across, but I'm here this morning and say, well, you need to believe this. Now I'm looking at everybody over here. Now I could be referring to everybody in this room that you need to believe this, or I could be talking to my wife. You need to believe this. You better do what I say. <laughs> yeah, you believe that. I got another bridge to sell you. Um, I've been happily married for 35 years, and it's not because uh, I tell her what to do. I can tell you that. Um, marriage advice there one-on-one. But see what I mean? I can say you, and it can be specific or it can be general. When you have a thee and a thou and a ye, in, in old English, it's definitive for the singular and the plural and lets you know exactly who he's referring to. And so we know in the context, he's not talking about generic Israel. He's talking to these men, these believers. They were all believers except one. But in the context, he's referring to believers here. These are the ones that Jesus is asking to leave the safe location and go back to the dangerous one. These are the guys he's asking to go enter into the hurt of people they love. And they've come to realize now that Lazarus is dead, what do we do about that? Nothing we can really contribute there. They're at the end of themselves. They can do nothing. But I thought it was interesting if he says, to the intent that you might believe, believe what? They're already believers. You say, well, what does that mean? What that means is that coming to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior is a free gift, is a one-time act, and it changes your position from not being a family member of God to being in the family of God, from not having your sins, um, you know, receiving the forgiveness that has been done for your sins to now you've been imputed to the righteousness of Christ. It's a positional thing. But your walk of faith... I hope this morning that in your life with God that you have a greater depth of faith and belief today than you did a year ago. And if you're never challenged in your faith, I question if you're really seeking him all that much because I know in my own personal life, I got, I got a lot more to learn and my faith is not all it ought to be. Now, one of the commentators, when I was, I've read several books on this, out of this chapter, brought out a fascinating truth. In John's gospel, this experience is a turning point between Jesus and the disciples that we know were here. Before this event of John chapter 11 and Lazarus being dead and then Jesus bringing him out of the tomb, before that event, the most preferred way the disciples would refer to Jesus was the term rabbi. Now, in the King James, sometimes they use the word master, so I've been kind to the King James, and I'm going to say, I, here, I, I don't, I, again, it had been better, in my humble opinion, if the word rabbi was used every time in there, because that's what the Greek word is, and it, it, when you say master, it removes some of the Jewishness of it. Now, maybe they were saying people didn't understand, blah, 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 but every time you see the word master in, in referring to Jesus, it's the Greek word rabbi, which literally means a teacher, um, now, rabbis were not an uncommon thing in the first century. You didn't have to have a law degree. You didn't have to have a theology degree. If you could get a bunch of followers in the first century to follow you and your teachings, they, they would begin to refer to you as a, as a rabbi. Now, it's interesting when we go through the Gospel of John and we look at the disciples and their reference and how they communicate with Jesus, I want to take you really quickly through the Gospel of John. Notice in John chapter 4 and verse 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed saying, Master, saying, Rabbi, eat. 
John 6, 25, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? John chapter 9, verse number 2, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And then in our text this morning, his disciples, back in verse 8, say unto him, Rabbi, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, goest thou thither again? Throughout the first part of the, and most of the Gospel of John, the preferred reference to these men for Jesus is the term rabbi. And in Jesus' day, the rabbis oftentimes, if they were in good with the Pharisees, they would teach in the synagogue, they would sit around and discuss theology, they would answer questions, and they would interact with their followers. It was not uncommon for followers in that day to question their rabbi or even to argue with their rabbi. D.T., Getting real first century. It made a sense to me. I was thinking about it. You see, I know somebody just irritates the fire out of me. He calls me rabbi, and then he's always dissing on me. Not going to change. No, I know. It's, if, if, if your beautiful wife can't change you, and you know, I'm not even going to go there. It's a longer sermon. Um, but Jesus' disciples in the verses I just read to you throughout John, did you notice something there? They're telling him, Rabbi, you need to eat. Rabbi, why did you come here? Rabbi, who did sin, this man or that? Rabbi, the Jews stoned to kill you, and now you're going there? Do you see how they're questioning and they're giving him advice all along the way? Rabbi, 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 rabbi. Well, this commentator pointed something out that I found fascinating. After the events of John chapter 11, after these, these disciples followed Jesus back to Bethany and to that tomb where a dead man that they knew, and they knew he was good and dead, and they heard Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth, and they saw their old buddy come out of that tomb. Let me tell you something. Those guys after that were never the same. And you'll find after that, they, they no longer refer to Jesus as rabbi. Now, throughout the rest of John, the disciples that were there, they refer to him as the Son of God. Now, both are true, but one is certainly a clearer identification of who he is. By the way, there is one exception to that. There is one apostle that didn't go that route. Can anybody guess which one of the 12 was the one that didn't go there? All right, now, well, you guys are good. You quoted John eleven thirty five, 35, you know Judas. Matthew 26 in the garden or at the last supper then Judas which portrayed him answered and said Rabbi is it I and then when he comes to the garden in verse 49 of Matthew 26 when he comes with all the Romans and the, the Sanhedrin forthwith he came to Jesus and said hail Rabbi and kissed him hmm interesting isn't it um Sometimes the Lord allows us to go through things that are very painful. And we wonder why God hasn't shown up. We sometimes have even made the conclusion in general that, God, if you, you let, allowed this to happen, so I could make the justification that you're kind of glad it happened. You could have stopped it. I'm sitting down here in all this mess. I'm trying to be obedient, and I am being obedient, and I'm doing this and all this kind of stuff, and I'm in this deep pain. I want you to consider this morning, here's my one KCS quote that actually should be from Ed Underwood really more than me, but I want you to consider the potential in your pain. Now, this is higher-level Christian living, and I admit that. But if you're here this morning and you're in an emotional pain or you're in physical pain, um, and I do know a little bit about living 
in said condition, I want to challenge you to consider the potential in your pain. I want all of us to consider that the truth is that we seldom change our perspective on the Lord Jesus Christ until we are in a very painful place where we have lost all control, where Lazarus is dead, and we've said, I can't, there's nothing I can do about that, where we are so broken. And I know there have been times in my life as a younger man where we went through tough times and I certainly was broken, but the older I get and the more that I experience pain, and many of you here can, are more advanced in this than I am, but if you don't think you can hurt worse than you are, you probably can. But it's during times of great pain that God gives us the opportunity for us to transform our view of who Jesus is from someone who is our rabbi Someone we respect, someone who is our guide, someone we think can give us good advice, but also someone that we can instruct a little, someone we can challenge, someone we can even try to manipulate a little bit. But when you're in pain and we're at the end of ourselves, this is the time we recognize who in the world do I think I am that I can tell God what's going on in my life. Obviously, this is way beyond my control and you get a clearer view that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He is worthy of our following Him in reverential trust. Say that again. Reverential trust. The question is to believers this morning. If you're an unbeliever, you're an atheist, or whatever you are this morning, I'm not really referring to you at this point. I'll get to you in a minute, but for right now, Christians, honestly, is Jesus in your life primarily a rabbi? Or do you really recognize he's the risen Lord, the King of Kings, the Alpha and Omega? And there is a difference. I've been on both sides of it, probably still will be as I walk this journey of life. You know, one of the great heroes of the faith, Job, went through this process. I mean, you ever... Where was God in all this pain? You know, he lost all his possessions, lost all his children. If you've lost a child, there's no way to ever fully heal that hurt. Job's this righteous man doing the right thing, and where's God? And so he does, he gets his friends together, and then he begins, as you read the book of Job, at some point along the way, he's advising Job, or God. Job is advising God. Hey, God, you know, what about this? You know, they're trying to figure it all out. But you know, when you get to the end, that's not the Lord calling. No, I know it's not. (laughs) That's coming from the other direction. Is your phone hot? (laughs) I'm sorry. I just can't avoid it. It's just me. But never miss in the book of Job. When you get to the end of the book of Job, and Job, even God called him in the front end, a righteous man full of integrity. But when you get to the end of the book of Job and Job and God begin to have a discussion and Job is in all his pain and Job pours out his heart and then God begins to ask Job some very tough questions and Job can't answer them. And by the end of Job, Job Job says this in Job chapter number 42 and verse number three, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. In verse five, he goes on and says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, rabbi, But now mine eye seeth thee, the risen King of glory. Wherefore, verse 6, Job says, I abhor myself 
and repent in dust and ashes. Now, repentance is far more for the believer than it is for the unbeliever. Uh, I don't know, should I get into that? So that's a whole other sermon. But too many people today present the gospel that I have to make all these changes in my life before God's going to, you know, accept me and give me salvation. No, Jesus did all the work. You and I can't do anything to save ourselves. But as believers, yeah, there's some things inside our life that ought not be there. And if you're in deep, deep pain, one of the ways that you're going to know that you're starting to see God in a greater measure is when you recognize that the thoughts and intents of your heart are what is wicked. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I've been there where I've, and probably will again, thank you for your grace, Lord Jesus. But when I come through it all, I recognize that through all the pain in my life and all the questions I have, there's one issue that only God can solve. When Lazarus is dead, there's only one person that can bring him back to life. You and I are spiritually dead. You are going to die. And there's only one person that can solve your death problem. Jesus Christ. See, now I'm going to talk to the heathen and the unbelievers and the atheists out in the crowd. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but you're going to die one day. And you will die with your beliefs and God is going to honor your choices. But I want you to know that God loved you so very much that he came for you and for me to die in my place for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world. And he rose again, conquering death, that he now holds the keys to death and hell and can offer us the free gift of eternal life if we will simply by faith receive it. You see, in the last part of John 11, verse number 15, the last phrase there, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Notice what Jesus says to them. Nevertheless, let us go unto Martha and Mary. Is that what it says? No. You ever catch that? Let us go unto him. <laughs> I'm not, you know, we were going, we're going there to help Martha and Mary. No, we're not. I'm going there to see Lazarus. And I'm just like, what do you mean go to Lazarus? He's going to be, by the time we get there, he's going to be rolled away and sealed. You ain't going to see him, Jesus. I hate to disappoint you. Back to us, you know, advising our rabbi. Uh, no, he's not, you know, I'm going to see Lazarus because Lazarus was a believer. And, and, and the reality that we see in this story is death cannot separate the believer from our Savior. This is why the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 4, 5, but to him that worketh not. But what does he have to do? Believe. But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. The whole book of John, John surmises and God puts it in there for us. John 20, 31, but these are written. Why? That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Now, I'm going to close this morning with an unlikely source speaks up here after Jesus lays these bombshell things. And I, 
I'd like to go back in time and look at the apostles and disciples looking at Jesus when he's saying this stuff. I mean, you know, my my little things that I'm going, sometimes when I'm preaching along and teaching, looking in some of your eyes, you know. Um, Lord bless Rick Potter. My man Rick Potter, y'all remember Rick? He's in the glory now with the Lord this morning. But I'd be preaching something. I could always tell with Rick when, you know, Rick would be looking at me that look like, I have no idea, Pastor, what you're talking about. And then usually he'd say that, you know, right out loud, you know. Um, Right? Can I get an amen? Uh, Amen. Thank you. One soul in here is listening to me. Adelaide, you get whatever you want. Um, <laughs> your dad will pay for it. Um, uh, by the way, I took my picture by the I Move Christmas tree on the Christmas walk, so I want that 100 bucks. Insider trading. You will be kicked out of the church if 100 bucks isn't coming this way. See, I'm helping you guys out this morning. Go down to the Crystal Tree Walk, take your picture by the eye, move one, put it on their page, and win 100 bucks. Everybody who gets a picture gets 100 bucks, right? Potentially. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> what a business answer. No, only one person does. All right. All rules. Read the fine print. Um, notice verse 16, and we'll stop today. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas speaks up. Now, we all know Thomas as doubting Thomas, right? I found it interesting. I love when I study this stuff and I come across stuff that I've, you know, I've been studying this for years and I'll, I'll come across something I've never heard before, which, you know, surprise, you know, yeah, that's surprising. You've never heard it before, you know. Some commentators, especially the ones that brought Jewish perspective, said that in Jewish tradition, the reason he was called Didymus, which means twin, most people think he literally had a twin, which is probably what I would probably hold to, but some people think he was called Didymus because he physically looked like Jesus. That Thomas physically resembled him, that they were easily mistaken for one another. You know, uh, kind of like me and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah, he's too old. That's right. You guys like He's way too old for me. Like, like me and Chris Hemsworth. Okay, the old people laugh and the young people. Matt, you laughed at the young people. Congrats to you. Even though Chris Hemsworth, a heathen, needs to get saved. But that's another message again. Some people think that's why he was called Didymus, because he looked like Jesus. So if you were going to go into a dangerous area where there was a death warrant on you or an arrest warrant, would you like to look like Jesus? Maybe he shaved his beard. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, we're going to go, Lord. Uh, I don't know. And I thought to myself, you know, today when you and I live, when we go into dangerous places, you know the ones who put the most risk out there are the ones who look like Jesus. Do you look like him? Bottom line is, I don't know. There's a lot of people who think Thomas is being defeatist. Some people think he's being an encourager. Some people think he's being sarcastic. I, I've, I've looked at all these things. I'm not totally sure, but at the end of the day, Thomas says he is going with Jesus. Even if he doesn't understand, he's going. And he uses his voice and his decision to influence others. He says, let us go. Now, you and I know the rest of the story. Uh, We know the pain and the hurt and the death that Martha and Mary and Lazarus would endure and the profound impact uh, that the resurrection of Lazarus would have on the faith of the disciples. If you're here this morning and you're enduring great pain and you feel all alone and you wonder, where is God? Consider this morning again the potential in your pain. You say, what's my potential? The potential, number one, is that you're going to get a clear view of who Jesus Christ is. That's potential, number one, that you can choose to use in that pain or you can drive, use that pain to drive you away from God. Second, the potential of your pain is its impact on others around you. 
I am glad there are some times that nobody sees the pain I'm in and some of the things I might verbally utter. Aren't you glad that not everybody hears everything you say when you're in great pain? That's why I'm glad my wife is so nice to me because she could tell stories. Usually she just smacks me and says, just get over it. No, she doesn't do that. I'm just kidding. She's, if you know my wife, I'm married way above myself. But don't forget the potential impact on others around you. We mentioned Job. Remember Job had three friends, came to help him out. They started helping him advise God. Remember at the end of the book of Job, how did God take their recommendations? Remember what God said? Job, if you decide not to pray for them and help them out, I'm going to kill all three of them. 